0: We're singing about the holiness of God today. Um, we sing about the holiness of God because of who He is—the one worthy of our praise. We, he is the one worthy. He's the only one holy and worthy of all. And so, uh, this morning, I want—if you'll get your notes out—as I said, I want to talk about. The sovereignty of God, or our response to God's sovereignty, and and really asks the question of, really we're asking the question of what does God's sovereignty have to do with our lives? Um, if I don't know if you had a chance, I know last week was just kind of kind of crazy. Um, we don't know why that took forever for a video to post. I posted it twice. And it finally kicked through after after it said not, but it, it wouldn't. I didn't do it live because we recorded it at like nine o'clock, <laughs> so we're like, hey, we'll do it early, Record it, and I'll send it out while we're doing chores or whatever. And uh, it just didn't go through like I wanted it to. But last week we talked about about the uh, the prophecy of Christ coming, the advent of Christ, His coming, and then. Calvinism and how it fits in and talks about how we how God determined all things at all times uh, for all of life. And one of the things that kind of kind of came up for me was talking about God's sovereignty. And so I want to read out of the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Um, we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes and chapter 3. And so, we read this with me, and then we'll, we'll kind of walk through this passage of Scripture and uh, bring it out regarding the, the, the sovereignty of God. Ecclesiastes 3 says, For there everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to refrain from embracing. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. There's a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before Him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. We talk about uh, sovereignty. What is the word? The question is, the, what does the word sovereign mean? And on your notes, I put in there, I wanted you to see the definition and have it as you take it home. Sovereign, under Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 version, says, Supreme in power, possessing supreme dominion as a sovereign ruler of the universe. Supreme, superior to all others. Uh, chiefly, God is the sovereign good of all who love and obey him. Thirdly, supremely efficacious, superior to all others, predominant, effectual, as sovereign as a sovereign remedy. That means God is completely able to do whatever He sets it, set forth before Him. So, first is today, as I want to I want to look at God is sovereign over our past, present, and future. God is sovereign over our past, our present, and our future. And that's what we need to see in our. As we looked at at the theme passage, we really look at. He says, "For everything, there's a season. Uh, every ma- matter, and then he talks about there's a time for all these things. So, both our pres our our past, our present, and our future is all determined by God. Uh, he goes on and he says, "Whatever God does endures forever." And then nothing can be added to it. So God is sovereign over our past, present, and our future. Um, over the last few weeks, I quoted a passage of Scripture in in, in Acts chapter 17. And I also want to re- reiterate that if you'll skip forward because we missed a couple there. Skip there. Um It says the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. Remember, he's talking to the Areopagus as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps... Feel their way toward him, and find him. God is set forth in sovereign over all things from creation. We talked about He's sovereign over when you're born, when you die, when you what what happens, and that's what we want to look at. God is sovereign over our past, our present, and our future, and we need to look at that because so many people think of what God has done in the past and that God is just awaiting a certain period of time until he comes back and then then he'll he'll act again but until that God is God has handed over the world to Satan and that's not true God has not handed over anything we say that we what scripture tells us is that God has placed uh, is, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God on the throne and he awaits what until all things have been placed under his feet and the last thing that has to be placed under his feet is what death And so when he comes to destroy all things, and once that's done, he returns. And we look at this aspect, and this is what I want us to see, in Acts 17, he tells us that he's done all these things from the beginning of time. So God is sovereign over our past, our present, and our future. And if that is true and we understand that God is not just sovereign over salvation, He's not just sovereign over creation in the past. He's not just sovereign over salvation at one point in time Jesus came and died and was resurrected. That's not that's not if that's if it's beyond that, he's also God of our future, then that means God is secondly, and we see in this theme passage that God is sovereign over our work. God is sovereign over our work. Now I used to look at this passage of scripture in Ecclesiastes 3 and verses 9 through 13 and it says, "What gain has the worker from his toil?" And I was like, well I'm reminded of what, what it was the curse of Adam that instead of he was instead of tending the garden and everything being easy from that point on he would come from what It come by the sweat of his brow right It would come by the sweat of his brow. it's not just a simple thing anymore. It's not just a simple occurrence anymore, is it? And so he says, what gain is the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. The work that God has given him. And he's made everything beautiful in its time. I want us to come up and think about this. A, under A. Our work is God's work. It talks about what gain is the work from his toil. I've seen the business that God has uh, given to the children of man to be busy with. Our work, therefore, is God's work. He's sovereign over our work. That's what it tells us in Ecclesiastes three nine through ten. He, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. We also reminded of, of of Colossians chapter three verses twenty three through twenty four when he says, "Whatever you do." Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And I, I bring this up because it doesn't matter what we do. Kids, whether it be your, your school, your schooling, we ought to work at it with all our heart as unto the Lord as we are being educated for what reason? For God's glory, for God's purpose. If it's in our our chores or our work or when we go to work, when mom and dad and every one of us do the acts that we have, the things that he has for us, we do it not unto our children, not unto our spouse, not unto our, um, not unto in that sense, but we do it unto the Lord. It's it's to honor Him. Because the thing is, is there are going to be times, kids, when uh, I'm going to say this. Sometimes, kids, we don't like you, even though you're our children. We love you. We don't always like you. You know that you're not always likable, right? We all We know that time, mom and time, mom and dad are not always likable, right? We have our moments. But let's be reminded, it's not about our worthiness of one another and what we do. We don't do chores because our mom or dad are worthy of us doing chores for for them. It's not about that. It's about we do these things in order to honor Christ. And when we do them halfway or with half the effort, we're not not dishonoring our mom and dad. We're dishonoring God by the way we work. And it's the same way if mom or if mom or dad goes and halfway does everything we do, whether it be around the house or in our employment, if we halfway do everything and rather than do it fully. For the glory of God, it's not our company and our name or whatever we do that looks bad. It makes Christ look bad because we name the name of Jesus. So God is not only, God is sovereign over our work and our work is God's work. And I think we forget about that aspect right there. Not only is it God, it's our work, God's work, but B, our toil has purpose our toil has purpose B the, the, what turned out to be a curse upon Adam for his disobedience to God in the garden turns into a blessing of God for those of us in Christ Jesus What was a curse in the garden upon Adam is now a blessing for us. Our toil has purpose. Now, did Adam's toil have purpose? Absolutely. He just said, now instead of you being able to mend and take care of what God has provided for you, now you're going to have to do it by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be grueling work. Our bodies face the consequences. Our minds and our everything pays for it. But our toil... Our work has purpose, and what Ecclesiastes three eleven says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Our tool has a purpose, and and we don't always see the end result. We don't always see the end part of that. But our toil, our hard work, has a purpose, and it's an eternal. We have to have an eternal mindset regarding it. What we we often do is we think of our toil in the moment as our hard, the hard times that we have, as the hard is the is the main point. Now I know. Every one of us loves when we have to go and we gotta get get outside and it's really hot, right? We love it when it's 100 degrees outside and we have to go do outside and do chores. Yeah, we love it. I've never. Everybody in here goes, yes, it's 100 degrees. You know. Also, I found, and when we have to do all those things, it's hot and it's hard. We don't want to do it, right? We don't want to do certain things. But you know, also I found it's when it's pouring down rain and it's muddy outside and it's cold. Everybody has the same attitude, don't they? Yeah. And when we have to get up, well, you don't know, obviously not everybody has to get up, but when I have to get up or, 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 or Mr. Henry has to get up and we get up early in the morning to leave, to go to work. I know you get paid to get up early, huh? Making breakfast. <laughs> Sometimes. If you remember. Uh, yeah, well, anyways, look, think of it this way. So we get up early and the thing is, is the longer days and the more we work, and so our toil becomes hard; it, it becomes tiresome. Yes, but if we look at the toil and the hardship of it, as that is the meaning behind life. We give up. We don't. We are going to give half effort, aren't we? But when we look at our toil and our work, has an eternal purpose, even beyond uh, what our bosses will say. Um, even beyond, you know, sometimes I know doing math and and doing and reading and all those things just aren't that fun right now. Yeah. But guess what? It, it will help you in the future. Um, I have to do math all the time to make an estimate for my job. I have to use, um, I have to be able to write things in complete sentences so I don't look like a total goofball. I have to look like I know what I'm talking about and that I'm, you know, that I have some kind of Education behind me, um, so I can communicate. But when I think about this and our about our work, and, and it's beyond just our physical, actual work. When we talk about this, it's more than that. And look at Second Peter chapter three. He write. He said, "This is a second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them I'm stirring you up to sincere your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions." ...of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, the scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that it then existed was deluged with water and perished. Talking about Noah. Uh, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Remember when that passage, the theme passage, when he tells us that, that God has kept, man is not able to perceive the boat from beginning to the end. It's so much. But he's reminding them people will scoff at it because they can't perceive it always. When they look at, at the moment and they look at the moments around them and say, well, where's God in all this? Where's is, where is his, where his blessing? Where's where him watching over us? Where's God's hand in all this? Well, he's looking at this. That we're now in the point in time when we're, it's, it, it, we're waiting. Uh, everything's in a, a waiting period, waiting for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. It's not about time. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But mark this, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it shall be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in a lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? Go on verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He goes on in verse 17, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the reason why I bring this up is so often people are not heavenly minded. They're not eternal minded. They're in the moment. And what he tells us is don't allow the times, don't allow the time, don't allow the things that are occurring to draw you. But what we need to be found is what? Living lives of holiness and godliness, hastening the coming of the Lord. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? How do you think we hasten the coming of the Lord? We live a life that honors Him and we work as unto Him, <coughs> bringing everything into under His feet, bringing everything in dominion under, to His dominion. Our work, our work in general, our toil has a purpose, and it's not just... Work. It's not just staying busy. It's about accomplishing something that is an eternal purpose. See, under C, God's gift to us is joy in our work and what it produces. God's gift to us is joy in our work and what it produces. And I, th- I just want to, as y'all are writing that down, just think about this. Ecclesiastes in, our, in verses 12 and 13. He says, I perceive there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink, take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And I think about often people think of toil, they think of hard work, and there's nothing joyous about it. But when we work as unto the Lord, we rejoice in him. And also, there's something that comes from this. It's not always immediate. You know, you work hard for, I mean, I, I know for years working hard for something and the paycheck is small and you don't rejoice always in the paycheck. But we rejoice in what God has done as his, his provision of all things. God's gift to us, maybe not in the moment, but over time is that God allows us to rejoice in the benefits or the produce of our work. And I'm not just talking about agriculture here. We're talking about that God gives these things. And we're all at times, there's times of famine, but there are also times of feasting in our lives. And that's why God had three amongst the three tithes, if you think about this, you had the Levitical tithe you have the poor tithe which is really not a poor tithe but also you had this thing called the rejoicing tithe and you would take 10% every year and what would you do it was a celebration unto the lord of what god had benefit god had produced through you and blessed you with and you take 10% of that and you basically throw a party celebrate and so god's gift to us is joy in our work and what it produces It's a joyful thing that we get to eat and drink and be merry. We get to uh, celebrate with others God's provision for our life through the work that we've done to honor Him. In, In Matthew 13, and then we'll also talk about Luke 12, but Matthew 13, there's that parable of sowing the seed. Now, I know this is talking about the sowing the seeds of the gospel, but I want us to understand when we sow seeds... In such a place that falls on the good soil, what happens? It produces a harvest, right? Not a small harvest, but a great harvest. And the thing about sowing sowing seed is sometimes it takes. It, it, sometimes the seed will fall on the rocky places. Sometimes it will fall along the path. Sometimes it will fall amongst the thorns but sometimes it falls on good soil and the thing is is it's not about where the seed falls because God is sovereign over where the seed falls we have to be faithful in casting the seed and it, and that's why when we look at our work our work as an act uh, that, that, that that God brings joy through it and that we get to rejoice in the produce of it because what happens is there is a time when harvest will come and there will be good seed on the, from a good soil. And, 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 and whether it be salvation through the gospel, we see that happen and occur in our lives. We see a growth of His church in our community, wherever it might be, but it comes from this aspect of honoring God, trusting God in his sovereignty, that as the seed goes out as our work for his kingdom continues on, that there will be a harvest beyond us and what we could have ever contemplated. We could have ever thought up, we could have ever dreamed up, and in those moments we get to rejoice in what God has done in and through and for us. Luke 12 even goes on, verses 13 through 31. I know there's some chunks of scripture this morning, but I want us to think about this. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, I tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. (laughs) Uh, What is an inheritance? Inheritance is something that is left by uh, the family to the children. Or descendants. It's something that is given. Sometimes it's monetary. Sometimes it's an it's an estate that means the land and all the house and all the belongings. It's sometimes very detailed. But he says, "Tell my brother, to divide the inheritance with me." But he said to them, "Man, who made me a who made me a judge and arbitrator over you?" I love Jesus saying this. He said to them, "Take care and be on guard against all covetousness." For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store up I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and drink be merry. There's something about this. He heard the eat, drink, and be merry is the same thing we just heard from the parable. But, I mean, from Ecclesiastes 3. But listen to, listen to the heart of the man. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and, not, and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, "'Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, "'what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. "'For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. "'Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. "'They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. "'Of how much more value are are you than the birds? "'And which of you, by being anxious, "'can add a single hour to the span of life? "'And if then you are not able to do a such small thing as that, "'why are you anxious about the rest?' Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, much more how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world, the pagans, seek after those things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. When we look at this, that God provides will give us joy from what? He gives us joy, His gift to us is our joy in our work and what it produces. It's no need for us to think about how we might store up for ourselves for the rainy day. Now, should we be wise and storing up things? But it's not about that. It's about building these things in order to hold back from whom? from God, His work, and so forth. And we know that as long as we're faithful to giving in those areas, as long as we're faithful to give back to the Lord what He has given to us, and we are always looking for opportunities to do that and to honor Him, when we look at this, I want us to be reminded that there's joy in it. And then God allows us to rejoice in also the the produce of it. It's not just about what we can do, and what we—it's just not—it's not just about the work in itself. It's about how we can honor God with it, and and the more we do, is the more to expand His kingdom to, but create opportunity and it doesn't matter how how much further how far henry progresses in his company it doesn't matter how much god allows for me if i'm building if i end up building 10 houses this next year it's not about the kingdom that i'm building it's not about the storehouse and how big my storehouse is it's about how much we can advance the kingdom of god through it every day and that begins not only as individuals but it begins with our families and it produces from there in our community and beyond. Lastly, this morning, God's sovereignty over God, although God is sovereign over all things, and God is God's, our work is God's work, and so forth. God's sovereignty doesn't remove, does not remove our responsibility. God's sovereignty never removes our responsibility. the number one responsibility we have to God is obedience to His word and His commands. In fact, we we show our love for Him and how we obey His commands. In our theme passage, verses 14 through 18, verses 14 through 18, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him I'm sorry, that's the wrong passage. We'll get verses 14 through 18. I don't think I have it up there. Um, I made a mistake. But I have it right here. Verses 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before Him that which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Our God does not remove our responsibility because He is sovereign. We have a responsibility to understand that whatever God does, it endures forever. And But our responsibility is what? To honor Him, to obey Him. When I look at this, and when I look in light of all of this, 2 Timothy 2 reminds us, uh, and I'm going to read this and close this in this, but I want you to think, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, but since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may attain salvation as in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also shall live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. When we look at this passage, I want to read one more time, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 14 through 18. It says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added Nothing can be taken away because God has done it. So that people fear Him. What we can do in and of ourselves and what we can can do is what? We can't add to one thing that God has done. We can't take away anything. But we can be obedient to what He's entrusted us. And one of the things, one of the first things we do we're entrusted is how we obey Him, how we honor Him. And we honor Him By rightly handling his word. By rightly living because of his word. And that's why I wanted to look at it as the sovereignty of God in in work. We think about work as so so often people say, well, this is my job and this is my religion. This is my secular life. Here's my spiritual life. And it's not that way. The secular and the spiritual, there's no separation. Whatever we do, it's his. And it's unto him and for him. And no matter what we do, since God has ordered everything from beginning of time to the end, since God has done these things, it doesn't remove our responsibility, but it enhances our obedience, our responsibility to obey Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him in what we do. We're not specifically, we're not robots. God didn't create us to be robots. And just because He has a sovereign rule over all things, just because He has decided And he has moved in my. That doesn't mean that we're robots. It means he created a people who he saved from their sin for a purpose of honoring him and making him known. And we have that ability uh, in our work. We have that ability in our chores, in our education, in our play, in our relationships, in this community with the lost and, and beyond, letting them know in our work as we reach people. And so God uses these things. And I, I want us to simply just look at that this morning. How does, so, how does God's sovereignty affect our lives? It affects our life in every way, in every area. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook, at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.